Good morning. If everyone out in the vestibule could move on in and take a seat, we would appreciate it. We can start our service. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Sandy Springs. Those of you that are visiting with us for the first time, those of you that are visiting with us again, welcome this morning. It's a special day today, and David, I'm sure, is going to tell you more about that and when he gets up here. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it a present. And this is the day the Lord has made, and he made it for you, and he made it for me, and he made it for us to enjoy. And we are here this morning to worship him. So I would ask you to stand as we begin our service. Yeah. 
Good morning. So glad that you're all here. Some uh, are here every Sunday. Some of you are visiting for the first time. Others of you are back home, and we're so glad that you're back here. Uh, we are thrilled today to have Joel Brooks lead us in worship. Joel is the pastor um, at Redeemer Community Church in Birmingham. And Joel's Sunday today is going to be a lot shorter than they normally are. They do, he does four services at Redeemer Church in Birmingham, all live Sunday mornings. Gets there at 4 o'clock and leaves at 8 o'clock at night. And so it would be a good idea for you in the Sundays ahead when you get up to pray for Joel. Just make that part of your regular routine. I know he would appreciate that. Joel, we're glad to have you and wife Lauren is with him, his three girls, Caroline, Natalie, and Georgia, here celebrating mom's birthday, and his brother's here, his sister's here, their families, and so uh, we're so glad the Brooks are here. It's been a few homecomings ago, my friend Brian Hendricks, and Brian's here with Gene, said you need to get Joel Brooks, and we've waited a while, and here we are, and so Brian, we're thankful for that encouragement, so in for a treat. You're also in for a treat, and Bill, I'll go ahead and introduce our special music if that's okay with you. Uh, Grayland Allen is going to be singing for us today, and we're excited. Grayland's part of the praise team, and we're glad that Grayland is part of us, and Tatiana, thank you so very much. The reason I'm introducing Joel now is I'm not going to get up after Grayland sings because Grayland does such a great job. It's great to go right into preaching instead of announcements, and so we want to do that. Um, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, Fellowship Hall, we have soup, and we gather uh, our Bible study. We're doing spiritual disciplines, and so we would love for you to gather with us Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. We usually start at 6.30, but because we're eating, we start at 6. If you're not in the habit of that, we would love, for, or the discipline of that, we would love for you to join us Wednesday night. Just a few prayer requests. Gloria Spears. Angela Robson's mother, um, they can't figure out what's going on. So Gloria's in Tennessee. Uh, Tatum Pender, who we hope to soon hire as our uh, youth director, recovering from her back surgery. A lot of you know the name Tom Lowry. Uh, Tom was minister of youth here once upon a time. Um, had some heart issues and while he was on a mission trip and is undergoing treatments for cancer. And it's been tough on Tom. Uh, got an email yesterday that he's kind of turning the corner, getting a little bit better. So I know you would uh, want to remember Tom Lowry in your prayers. An answered prayer this morning. My friend Ruan walked me on the sidewalk. I was out front, and I was so glad. I'm glad to see all of you, but I was so glad to see Ruan. Ruan visits with us about three weeks out of a year, maybe every year, every couple of years. He's from Sri Lanka. And his father's a pastor in Sri Lanka. And I watched the news this past Easter, as you did, of the attacks of the Christian churches in Sri Lanka. And I wondered if it was impactful of Ruan and his father. It did not come to their church, but as you know, it shook not only Sri Lanka, but the world. And Ruan is here today. And I'm just so thankful that, that he is safe and that he's with us today. And uh, let's pray together. Lord, in this world of strife and conflict, here we are in your house to worship, a sanctuary from all sorts of things. And so today, Father, we pray that you would remove those 
troubles and turmoils from this world and give us a glimpse into glory. Thank you for this place, for what it means to so many. Thank you, Father, for each one here. Thank you that Ruan is here. Thank you that Ron and Anna are here. Thank you that Joel and his family are here. Thank you for the gift of today. We pray for Gloria Spears, for Tatum Pender, for Tom Lowry, for others on our minds. And Father, we just ask that we would always be people of prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. center of my joy all that's good and perfect comes from you you're the heart of my contentment hope for all I do Jesus you're the center of my joy. When I've lost my direction, you're the compass of my way. You're the fire and light when nights are long and cold. In sadness, you are the laughter that shatters all my fears when I'm all alone. Your hand is there to hold. Oh, oh, my joy. All that's good and perfect. Oh, God. 
I don't want to follow that. I don't. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's been a long time since I've been here, um, and I associate uh, sitting in the front row with being in trouble, so it took me a while to get over that. Um, actually, I was so problematic during church services, as many of you remember. Um, one time, my mom tried to keep me contained by having me sit in between this little gap here in the organ. She actually thought she could contain me if, if I had to sit there during a service, but I found a dime, and there's a large vent there, and I was able to undo the screws, and I was able to crawl underneath Ron Irvin as he was preaching and tap under his feet. And I don't know, Ron, if I ever told you that, but that was me while you were preaching, tapping below your feet. Uh, but I thank you for everybody who put up with me over the years uh, it's been 22 years since I've last stepped foot in these doors, which has been way, way too long, and it's good to be here. I chose Hebrews 11, which many of you remember. It's the Hall of Faith, in which it just goes through so many stories through the Old Testament. And one of the reasons I chose that is because I learned those stories in this place. Um, it was through the faithful teachers here that I got to learn these uh, magnificent stories in the Old Testament that are summarized here in Hebrews. And we don't have time to read through the whole chapter, um, but let's begin reading in verse 29, and we'll read a couple of verses in chapter 12 as well. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by, by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though, com though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me, church. Father, we ask that through your spirit you would open up our hearts and minds to the words that we have just read. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and be remembered no more. But Lord, may your words remain, and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So a number of years ago, I went back to Alpharetta to see my family. Uh, and I went back to the house that I grew up in, which my brother now lives at. And, uh, and I went to the garage, and I found my old Michael Jordan basketball. It was actually still there. Somehow, it could still hold air. And, uh, and so I inflated it, and I went outside, and I shot baskets on our driveway there. And as I did so, I, the, the strangest sensation came over me. I, uh, I was just completely overwhelmed with emotion. It, it hit me just out of the blue, out of nowhere, um, I started even crying, and I thought, what is going on with me? Uh, you would have thought I was pregnant or something like that, but uh, there, there was something happening, and uh, actually, I sat down on the ground, and I just wondered, what, what is this? And then it came to me, of all the places in the world, it was actually that spot right there that I considered home. That was home. Uh, more than the house itself, more than the front porch, more than my old room, the basement I used to play in, more than anything, that small piece of asphalt there where I had my basketball goal, that, that was home. And so many things in my life actually happened on that driveway. Uh, before there ever even was a driveway there, I can remember as a little kid, my my dad saying that he had bought some land up in Alpharetta, and we're like, where's Alpharetta? He said, somewhere up in the country. And, uh, and he said, you know, someday we're going to build a house there. And he would take us there just so we could walk the land, and we could, we could envision just what it would look like 
to have a house there. And I didn't know it at the time, but right at the peak of the hill where I was standing was where our driveway would someday be. He would take us there and we would camp as little kids right at that spot where the driveway would be. After many years and years of waiting, we finally did build a house there. And uh, I remember that my dad, he let me get a stake and he let me drive it in the ground at the place where the driveway was going to meet the house. And when the bulldozer finally came to make the driveway, I was the obnoxious kid who actually stopped the bulldozer and said, this place right here, you need to make it extra level because I'm putting a basketball goal here. And he did. And I can remember getting up early before school and I would shoot baskets, shoot endless free throws there. Um, I actually, I hung up a light over the goal so I can shoot before the sun even came up. My first date with my wife. Um, we went outside and I walked her to the lake. And so in the driveway, since it was dark, I held out my hand and uh, my arm. And actually, she put her arm in my arm there. It was very strategic. And, uh, and she's never let go since. I've had only two car wrecks in my life. One was in my driveway. And I totaled my car in my driveway. Uh, I can remember being in the driveway and and the joy of seeing my brother. Uh, He had actually gone off to Alaska, and we didn't know what was going on with him. He was gone for months, and all of a sudden I see my brother walking with a big beard and a walking stick up. He had hitchhiked home from Alaska, and, and just the joy of seeing him again. I can remember just the incredible sorrow. My father, he passed away right there on the driveway. I can remember my wedding the night before my wedding, being kidnapped from, by 20 different men. And they came and they brought me to the driveway. And they circled around me and they held up a deck of cards, all with Lauren's face on it. And they said, you get to choose your destiny tonight. And every card that I chose, it, it, well, I'll just say it, it, their back read something they were going to do to me. And I chose poorly every single time. My brother once flew home from Australia because he was going through a crisis he needed to talk. We just went and we just shot hoops in that little patch of asphalt. And I can remember every time going home to visit my family, my mom coming out, and she would walk out on the driveway, and she would wave goodbye to me. And all of these events, and there are so many more, happened on that small little piece of asphalt there and and all those things came flooding to my mind and I was completely overwhelmed with emotion because that that little piece of land there had meant so much to me and had played such a significant role in my life and now even to this day when I go back to that house I try to find an old basketball and I look around in the asphalt and I try to find that barely visible free throw line and I put my toe right up to it and I spin the ball And things come into focus. And I can see kind of the arc of my life, the stories of my life, the things that have shaped me, that have kind of made me who I am. And I ask the Lord, what's next? I see all the events, the history of my life, and I see what has brought me here to this point. What's next? Where do I go from here? And I tell you all of this because that is exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing in this text. We're getting to the climax of this 
letter, and, and God is taking the writer of Hebrews to, to a certain place where he's flooding him with all of these memories of God's people. He's flooding them, and, and, and it, he becomes overwhelmed, overloaded with emotion as he looks back on the history of God's people, and he's looking back at the history not as some detached historian, but as someone who's intimately connected with it. Their history is his history. He is connected with it. It has shaped who he is as one of God's children. Their story is his story. And so all of these people, these events, begin flooding his mind, and he thinks of Abel and how Abel made a better sacrifice than Cain, or how Enoch walked with the Lord and then was not, or how Noah built a giant boat even though it had never rained, or how Abraham left his home to go to the place that the Lord would lead him, or how he would be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, how Isaac would bless his children, how Jacob would bless each of Joseph's sons, how Joseph spoke of the exodus and he asked that his bones would be carried back to the homeland. How Moses, out of faith, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter because he would rather be known and identified as a child of God. You read of Rahab who welcomed the spies, then Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets, those who were delivered for their faith. Delivered from lions and flame and sword and, and sometimes even resurrected. And then we, we read of those who lost their faith or who were persecuted, who were tortured, who were flogged, who were imprisoned, who were stoned, who were sawn in two, who were wanderers of the earth. And the author of Hebrews, he's, he's thinking of all of these events and being flooded with these memories that have shaped him, that have brought him to this point in his life. He is who he is because of those people. And now he's asking the question, so what's next? His whole life is, is coming into focus as he sees the ark of God's people. And he's, he's saying, what's next? What am I to do now as a child of your kingdom? Where am I to go from here? How do I fit into this story? And the Lord says, run. Run. Join in this race and run. Considering everything that has happened up to this point, that's the only thing that you could do. You could join the race and you can run. Don't grow numb to the workings, my workings in your life. Don't grow tired of doing good. Don't relax in your devotion to me. Don't settle down for the, the pleasures of this world. I want you to set your face to the wind and I want you to run. This word run here is the focal point of the entire letter to, to the Hebrews. Uh, the whole letter has been slowly building up to this climax in chapter 12, and run is the focus of chapter 12. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we, we need to wake up, church. We need to wake up from this myth that Christianity is just a walk, like you think of a, a, an idle stroll, in which you can kind of just stroll through the Christian life without sacrifice, without struggle, without passion, as if it didn't really matter, as if nothing really was at stake. 
And he's saying, we're not on a walk. We're on a run, and it's a strenuous run. And we run all the way to the finish line. We were given one very short vapor of a life to live. God did not breathe life into us. He did not give his spirit to us in order that we might sit. Now I realize as I look around this room that uh, some of us here are in different parts of the race. Uh, Some of us are early on in the race. Some of us are much farther along in the race. But if you walk through these doors breathing, that means your race is not over. And that you are to run this race with endurance to the very end. This book was written to a church that in many ways actually resembles the American church. And by that I mean one that's getting older, it's established, it's complacent, it's become comfortable, it's become an easy place where you could begin drifting without focus. The author of Hebrews actually has to address that in chapter 2 when he says, pay closer attention to what you have heard lest you drift away from it i mean to drift i mean you don't have to do anything i mean you do absolutely nothing you don't stay where you are because the the currents of culture will make you drift all you have to do to drift is to quit striving forward quit running and so the writer here he's trying to stir up god's people trying to stir us up by reminding us of our glorious history as God's people. We are meant to do greater things than to just coast. Greater things than to just drift through life. The word race here in chapter 12, verse 1, it's, it's the Greek word agona. It's where we get the word agony or agonizing. He's saying that the race is not easy. The race is going to be strenuous. It will cost you everything, possibly even your life. But that is your calling as God's child. That's always been the calling of his people. Hebrews 11 is our heritage. You are part of a long line of saints. And now it's our time to run in the race. And as I look around this room here... This room is filled with so many faces that are a part of my heritage. So many people that have have poured into my life that have really shaped me over the years. I I see Ron Irvin in the back who faithfully preached the word to me growing up here. I see Brian and Jean Hendricks who faithfully taught Sunday school to me. Val and Bobby Porter. Bill Hall took me on choir trips. I mean, they're going to throw parades in this man's honor for taking me on a choir trip and driving the bus and all that he had to put up through. But this was so shaping that actually the last memory I have of my father is in this church. The last time I ever saw him alive in the back vestibule there, he just said he'd be praying for me as I headed off back to college. The Lord has used so many people here to shape me. You're my heritage. But for all of us, Hebrews 11, that's our heritage. So the question now is, how are we supposed to run? We know we're supposed to run, but how are we to run? How do we get the strength to run? And one of the first things I want you to notice about this is it says, we run the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set 
before us. So first of all, we are to be a people who don't move to the side or who don't go backwards, but we're always moving forward. If your memories are greater than your dreams, you've already given up. Regardless of one's age, I have found that actually many people live in the past. They live on past experiences. And usually they're not even accurate past experiences. Um, just like when I talk about my glory years playing high school basketball. Um, it's amazing I didn't make it into the NBA the way that I think I played basketball in high school. But you know, we do that with our spiritual past. We, we, we glorify that and we embellish the spirituality of our past and we remember back to the good old days of our past and we think that that's enough to sustain us in the present. I have often found myself saying these words. I mean, somebody might ask me, so what's the Lord teaching you? And I'll tell them what the Lord is teaching me. But then the problem is, that was actually the, something the Lord taught me five years ago. Not today. And so I'm living on a past success. But we need fresh bread from heaven. We need fresh manna. We can't live on bread that's a week old, let alone years old. The race is set before us. The race isn't set behind us. So the question is, are we running? Not did we run, but are we running now? And how do we get the strength to run? Uh, it would be wrong for me to, to, to try to end this message um, as a kind of pep talk. You know, win one for the gipper, get out there, strive your hardest, do the best you can. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get in the race. Work harder. Because you can't do it. You can't conjure up faith. This passage is crystal clear here that it's Jesus. He's the one who gives you the faith. Jesus is the one who then perfects your faith. If you could do this on your own, the things like uh, throwing off the things that encumber you, throwing off your sins, throwing off your weights, if you could do that on your own, then you wouldn't actually need a Savior. You would be your own Savior. But we need Jesus. We don't have the strength to run the race, and we never will have the strength to run the race unless Jesus gives it to us. Even the great saints that you read about in Hebrews 11, they didn't have the strength to run the race on their own. The author of Hebrews could have written a much different uh, letter, a much different chapter. He could have written the hall of shame instead of the hall of faith. He could have talked about how Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife, saying Sarah's his sister. And he did that not just once, but twice. He could have talked about how Jacob lived his entire life full of deceit. How Joseph was essentially a spoiled brat. How Moses, well, Moses, he was a murderer. He had a short fuse. He was prone to anger. Gideon had so little faith, he's always demanding signs. David, committing murder, committing adultery, and then lying about it all. These people are not witnesses to running the race on their own strength. What they are is a testament that God uses weakness for his glory. 
That God enables and empowers those who are weak to actually enter the race and to keep on running. They could not run the race on their own strength, and we can't run the race either. Verse 2 says that we look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That word founder there, it's a, it's a really interesting word. If we had time, I'd really unpack that. It's, it's the Greek word archagos. It's only found a few times in your Bible, and it's translated differently every time. Um, it, sometimes it's translated as author, sometimes as leader, sometimes as founder or captain. Some of your translations might, might write it as pioneer or as champion. But here we have it as founder. Jesus is the founder. But the reason that word is so hard to translate is because it's such a rich word and it, it conveys all sorts of meanings. Uh, actually, the, the place we have it used outside of Scripture the most is describing Hercules. It's the word used that is most commonly translated outside the Bible as hero or hero. And that's really how we should see this, that we look to Jesus, our hero. Yes, he's our founder, he's our perfecter, he's our champion, he's our leader, he's our pioneer. You put those all together and what you have is Jesus is our hero. And so when we run the race, we look to our hero because he is the one who did what heroes do. They run it perfectly. They're the ones that you aspire to be. You look at it and we see Jesus we're like, he ran the race how you were supposed to run the race. But a hero does even more than that. The hero is not just inspiration. Your hero picks you up when you stumble, because you will. You will stumble. You will fall. But your hero is there to save you and to rescue you and to put you back in the race and tell you to run. So Jesus, as our hero, he is both our example in our faith and he is the one who sustains our faith. We can't run apart from Jesus. And lastly, we read here that he did all of this for the joy that was set before him. So much in that one statement. That Jesus ran the race perfectly with endurance to the end, enduring the cross, all because of the joy set before him. And so I, I want to close by just asking the question, what was this joy? And, and I've, I've heard lots of different um, possible answers to this over the years. Um, so let me just give you my, my opinion, um, which I think is the correct one. We all do. Jesus had everything before he came to this world, if you think about it. He had perfection. He had holiness. He was in a perfect relationship with his Father and with the Spirit and the Trinity. We know that he had all the glory. The one thing that Jesus did not have was us. He didn't have us. And I believe the joy set before him was us. He would not go through eternity without us. Jesus had the joy, the picture of us being transformed and forgiven and saved and given an eternal future with him. And that was the joy set before him and why he endured the race and why he went to the cross, all that we might be with him 
forever. Doesn't that make you want to run? When you look to a hero like that, who out of such love endured the race for us, doesn't that make you want to join in? We have that invitation here, church. And we're to run not just three quarters of the race. We're to run all the way to the finish line. Pray with me. Our Lord Jesus, you are a hero. You are a captain, you are a leader, you are a founder, you are our author, you are our pioneer, you are our champion, our hero. You're the one who we look to for inspiration to see how the race is run. And you're also the one who picks us up when we fail, because we do fail. You are our savior. And Jesus, I pray that you would show us our glorious heritage. The Lord, those memories would not be brighter than our dreams as we look towards the future. May you fill us with our, your spirit and may we run hard after you, Jesus. All for your glory and for our joy. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. Now, in the church that I, um, I pastor, our tradition is um, I do a benediction to close the service. And so I would ask if you would stand and that you would receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.